Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make those connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I'm like really delighted today. I know there's something that you, oh oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start because I am so inspired by a whole new paradigm of peace and what that might look like. And the guests that's joined us. So I'm sure you are going to be just as inspired by something you hear in this next hour. So imagine this. Some people are able to stay calm in the midst of chaos. And you probably know some people like that. Yet imagine the power of a peaceful, calm river, untouched and unstopped by the chaos, death, and destruction all around it. Would you be inspired by that river? Our guest today was, she marveled at how a river could still bring life, sustenance, and hope in the dangerous, war-torn desert of the Middle East. And that inspiration moved her to do just the same. We're going to hear her story today. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart. And settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest, one of my newest favorite peoples on the planet, Janessa Gans Wilder, a former CIA analyst, founder of Euphrates, and she founded this Euphrates Institute on the heels of a 21-month assignment in Iraq. Janessa was working with the top Iraqi leaders in the run-up to the first elections of 2005 and witnessed firsthand the clashes between Americans and Iraqis and the lack of cultural, religious, and historical understanding that pervade both sides. Convinced that our foreign policy challenges require more than government effort, Janessa reassigned Excuse me, she resigns. I'm like so excited to get into this conversation. I don't want to read this bio, so forgive me. So Janessa resigned from the CIA to start a grassroots movement to relieve fear and restore trust between the West and Middle East in the aftermath of 9-11. Her aim is to help citizens on both sides realize their mutual humanity as the way to find lasting freedom and security. Don't you love that? Her Middle East experience has included Arabic study in the Palestinian territories and extended travel throughout the Arab world. After five years of government service on the Middle East and South Asia, she became a consultant to the State Department and a visiting professor of Middle East issues at Principia College. Welcome, Janessa. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I am so excited to be here, and I sincerely apologize for just botching up that introduction, but I've just been soaking in everything that you've done all day, and I just feel just so honored to have you here and to really share 
your work with the world and everyone listening to our program. Before we get into it, though, Janessa, I do have a traditional question, and I know you resonate so much with this. So I'm going to start with our first question. What does all things connected mean to you? Oh, well, one, when I even just heard the title of your show, it's such a breath of fresh air for me, you know, delving into dark Middle East issues and terrorism and extremism. And I saw your show and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is what I'm trying to talk about, even with the Middle East, because when we talk about all things being connected, to me, the entire world is so interconnected and even more so, or the most even with the Middle East. And so we think of this place as so foreign, as so other, as so dark, as so scary and frightening. And yet even the Middle East, which is the most other, the most foreign to us, directly impacts us on a daily basis from the gas we put in our car to the security issues, you know, extremism, terrorism, whether it's here or abroad, the birthplace of our religions, it just, our everyday things that matter the most to us, security, energy, and religion, uh, are, are really have their source and at their most intense in this part of the world that seems so far away. And so, to me, it really shows that we are all connected. Every part of this world affects every other part. So, I just loved, I was just leaping out of my skin, too, when I, I learned about your show and, and, and heard the title because... That's exactly what's going on in the world today. And we are deeply, deeply interconnected and interdependent. And so what does that look like for us to see that more clearly and live that way? Mm. Mm, Thank you. And, you know, that is one of the things that really thrilled me about your approach is really you've taken such a light instead of that talking about that dark story of Mm. what's unfolding. You're taking the story of the light and you're really bringing it in. And so I, I, I. I can't wait to share more about the Euphrates Institute, but I'm really I'm really taken by your story. Number one, I'm curious how a young woman begins working as a CIA analyst and spends time in the Middle East. So I'm curious about your story. What got you into this peacemaking place? And then I love the story of the river and your meditation there and how you, how you came up with this, this whole concept. So first tell us, Janessa, who is Janessa Gans and uh, Gans Wilder? And how did, how did you end up in the Middle East? <laughs> well, um, I was actually working for the CIA at the time. And, and the reason I joined the CIA right out of grad school was I, you know, I think like all young people, I wanted to make a difference in the world. And I thought, okay, here's a place where, and I, I grew up traveling. I love traveling. I love, you know, learning about other cultures and languages. And so here's a, an agency. Here's a place that their whole mission is to know the most about what's going on abroad in order to better inform our policymakers, you know, to be the smartest, most intelligent, most tuned in, most aware of what's happening in these countries so that we can be the best suited to make policies towards those countries, to keep our citizens safe, to just be smarter in the way that we work in the world. And I, all growing up, I thought, the U.S. could be such a force for good in the world. I believe that we already are, but that I wanted to make us even better 
you know, there are so many problems out there in the world. And here we have this incredible might and incredible value system. And I wanted to make that even more effective. So I, I joined the CIA and I had no interest in the Middle East. I was on the Africa desk and just had always steered clear of the Middle East because to me it was so dark and depressing and it just, you know, it was just a bunch of sand and extremism and violence. It just had no appeal whatsoever. And then um, shortly into my uh, first year at the agency, 9-11 happened. And uh, that was my introduction to the Middle East, to Islam, to everything in that part of the world. And I was immediately assigned to a task force working on Afghanistan. And then I was hooked just to just seeing how important was that region and yet how little I understood about it at the time. And then also realizing as I got more and more into it, how little Americans understand about that part of the world that, that's so important to us. So it really, it started with 9-11 and I've never looked back. It's just been um, daily fuel and, and daily, to me, I, I love that you talked about keeping the light focused on it. That's what keeps me going. I think if I if I just got um, taken in by all the bad news and all the horror stories that we see and the devastating images, whether it's refugees or terrorist victims or um, sexual slavery, I mean, there's just no end to the really tough, tough issues going on there. But what keeps me going is I do stay focused on the light and the people and the groups that are making such an incredible difference in the world. And they're the most inspiring people you've ever met. And that's what I want to bring more out of. That's what we need on the, on these issues to, to help that change and help that transformation. Mm, yes. And yes, I, I couldn't agree more of us telling the story of what's working and really that whole paradigm of shining the light and, and, Telling a new story really mm-hmm. does make a difference on the planet. And you, you know, you're so right. We're, we're connected with the Middle East and, and you talk about the security issues and, and peace building and energy and sustainability and religion and compassion. So let's go to the beginning. You're working for the CIA. You're in the Middle East. You're in the middle of war happening all around you and a few days later you sit by the river tell us the story of how this idea this inspiration came to you yeah so just to back up a little bit so i um you know right after 9-11 working on afghanistan it um i was doing that from langley you know from the cia headquarters and i just wanted to get out into the field because it really bothered me that i was considered an expert or, you know, having to be an expert. And yet I had not been there before. I hadn't connected with the people. I hadn't, I didn't know the language. I didn't uh, know the culture, you know, having grown up traveling, you get such a feel for a place when you are physically there. So I did everything I could to, to go there and my trip kept getting delayed. And then the Iraq war started and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm signing up. I'll go anywhere besides my cubicle. I'd rather dodge bullets, you know, get me, get me out of here. So I signed up for a 90 day tour, which turned into 21 months. But, um, 
it was so incredible to be finally on the ground, you know, in the field. And my job the first year, though, was um, really focusing on, um, you know, our enemies. I was a counterinsurgency analyst. And so it was my job to analyze the tactics and motivations and structure, uh, leadership system, you know, all mapping out essentially who these insurgents were and what was driving them so that our policymakers could understand um, what this growing insurgency at the time, I mean, Iraq just, uh, the insurgency took off just really at the start of my tour there, what was going on there and what was feeding it and then what could we do about it? So in that job, my job specifically was with Al-Anbar province, which is Western Iraq, and that includes places like Fallujah and Ramadi that, you know, we all heard about. And so I was um, often the only woman and um, usually the only CIA official out there in the field with our military and and trying to really um, see and and understand what was going on with, um, with the insurgency at the time. So the climax of that period for me was the 10 days I spent just outside of Fallujah on a Marine base. And this was during the first major battle in Fallujah in April. And it was the closest to the front lines I had ever been. You know, I'd been in scary situations, but this was really, you know, sleeping in a tent with my body armor on, running out to the bunkers, constant incoming mortars, outgoing um, artillery and just an incredibly intense environment and seeing the Marines coming back wounded from the field and just feeling the sense of overwhelming helplessness. And you just want to do anything you can to stop it. You know, it's just so engulfing to the senses and, and it just, um, yeah, the stress of attention and the, and the discouragement was really, was really tough. And a little while later, I was uh, visiting, I was in Ramadi visiting um, our, our folks there and at a special forces base. And I just took some time out one morning to reflect and went up onto the roof and was, um, it's right next to the river. And the first thing I noticed was the stillness, you know, having come from the incredibly loud, deafening sounds of the war zone and just that tension, you know, I can almost feel it now, just this incredible tension and then to come out and it's just so quiet. And the only sound I could hear was the sound of the river and the, the grasses, you know, the bulrushes were kind of swaying and you could hear a little breeze going through them and just that tinkling sound of the river and just the stillness. I just thought, wow, what a contrast to what I just experienced, this quiet and the mental quiet that came with that. And as I was just reflecting, I just realized that this same river was flowing right downstream through the middle of Fallujah. And I, oh my gosh, the contrast between thinking of this calm, peaceful river in the midst of what had just been bombs going off and death and destruction. And it just was such a powerful contrast that the thought came to me, which one will you choose? Because they were both happening in the same space. And I just instinctively said, you know, I choose the river. The river, no matter how many bombs go off and how much destruction, it's not going to change the course of that river going through the middle of it. 
really untouched by all that was going around. And, you know, to me, it was the symbol of life in the midst of what had just been death and the symbol of hope. And we talked about light, you know, light in the midst of the darkness. And it really was um, almost a vision, you know, it just felt like this was something powerful. And just because uh, I hadn't opened my eyes to see and acknowledge it didn't mean it was going there in the midst of all of that. And really by opening my eyes and seeing it, um, that was what was important. And, and I went back and to my, you know, my post in Baghdad and I very quickly after that made a complete change from working on the insurgency to wanting to be more focused on that light and hope. And so I, I was working with Iraqis instead of interrogating them and working uh, against them as the enemies. I was working side by side with the top Iraqi leaders in the run up to the elections and then forming the government. And uh, the shift in my perspective of Iraqis changed completely. I went from seeing them as not even human, you know, just really our enemies attacking us in this incredible sense of fear and barriers to to becoming friends, to truly sitting side by side on the same, at the same table, solving problems together. You know, the common ground ha- was established. And the transformation in that time was so complete that at my going away party, the spokesperson for the prime minister said, you know, Janessa, we feel you are Iraqi. <laughs> and mm. I think to me that meant you know, the way I was showing up in the relationship was that we were on the same side and working together. And um, that really summarized for me how much had changed from seeing them as the enemy to being one of them, really being, you know, side by side with Iraqis, one of the Iraqis. And I really felt that and still have strong, strong relationships with the people I worked with today. And, um, And then it just permeated everything I've done since. That, that transformation, that river wow. was powerful. <laughs> it was incredibly powerful. I love hearing your story and um, just knowing you, you moved from being so separate and being their enemy. And then you said being one of them. And I know what else motivates you is being one with them. So how do we, so I want to talk about Euphrates, but one of the things that you talk about with this complete transformation is really finding this common ground. And what you've created Mm -hmm. is an opportunity for others to have that same experience. They might not have this big epiphany of of seeing the oneness and, and looking at the river, but how do we as a humanity, and especially the Western mind, really learn to embrace what's going on over there, embrace the people and become one with all of the Middle East, not just be one, one of them, but really to create a oneness with them. What's your strategy? How do we do that? Yeah, I, I think it starts small and I think it starts right here at home. You know, I, I, I don't think the media or reading the news gives us a good appreciation of, What's going on? You know, we get headlines, we get very sparse details, and it's not humanized, and it's very removed from our daily experience. So while that's important to stay informed and, you know, understand more about the issues, 
we have to do something practically right where we are, or it's not going to feel a part of us. So I, I love that we have local groups all over the country. We just started it a year ago and in Europe and in the Middle East. And to me, the best thing is each one in his or her own community. What does that look like to become one, you know, to appreciate the other side, to build that common ground, just to get to know someone. So an, an amazing thing that um, our groups have been doing is visiting mosques in their area. So even right here where I live in the small town of Redding in Northern California, we went to visit a mosque, a local mosque a few weeks ago. And I brought our group with us. And these are all people who had never been in a mosque before and um, didn't know much about Islam, but, you know, wanted to know who here was in our community. And it was incredible to be standing shoulder to shoulder with Muslims. We'd never met. We'd never spoken to them before. And here we are praying together, standing side by side, and then meeting them afterwards. And they were so friendly and they just were so grateful that we had come and that we had visited them and that we took the time to, you know, welcome them as part of the community. And um, one gentleman who's part of our chapter, who's uh, a very right-wing conservative and, you know, that visit to him changed everything. He said, this is a model that's going to change the world. This, this put a human face on these people, you know? And so for him to meet and I, all these uh, individuals had accents. I think they were foreign born, you know, and this was the other and yet meeting them, seeing how friendly they were talking about um, the history of Islam and the United States, the Imam had prepared the sermon about, how there's a freeze of the Prophet Muhammad in Supreme Court chambers and how Morocco, a Muslim country, was the first country to recognize the United States in 1786 and all these interesting things that none of, no one in the group knew of before and just building that sense of common ground. And the imam at the end said, do we not all bleed when we're hurt? Don't we all breathe the same air? the only way that we differ is religion. We're all human beings first. And here's, this is right here in a small town. And I feel like if that encounter can change minds and both put a human face for Muslims, you know, let's say on Americans, but also for the Muslims in, in this mosque to have this very conservative um, members of this conservative community where a few years ago, there was an attack on a Sikh temple because they thought they were Muslims and anti-Muslim graffiti against these Egyptian scholars, Fulbright scholars who are attending the local community college. So if that can happen right here, you know, think of where it can happen in larger cities. But I love that it's not only helpful for the, you know, the non-Muslim group, but then for the Muslims to feel like here are people coming to learn about us and to welcome us and to us as human, you know, when extremist rhetoric comes up, they might be less susceptible to that if they feel a part of the community, if they feel heard, if they feel acknowledged, if they feel respected. So it really goes both ways. And that's just something so small. This is just one couple hours, so, but yet so tangible that each one of us can do that or things like that. There are so many ways to just get involved immediately 
on a practical, tangible level. And that's what makes these issues feel concrete and feel real. And, it, and then it feels like we're making a difference because I feel like there's so much a sense of helplessness. We read, we hear about a terrorist attack. We read the news. We hear about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We feel paralyzed. We feel helpless to do something. What can we do is, you know, what is what we feel. And yet there are things that we can do right in our own community. And it's so empowering and it really does. And then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, our circle of activity and influence. But I think it starts small. Yeah, you know what? You what you've created is a beautiful model and there are so many ways it can be replicated and and really make a big difference in the world. So we're going to talk more about Euphrates Institute, see what they're all about, how are they doing this? But I just want to remind our listeners right now, we're talking with Janessa Gans Wilder about the Euphrates Institute. We're going to take a quick break and before we do, I want to let you know you can find her at euphrates.org, E-U-P-H-R-A-T-E-S.org. So now we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, so much more on peace building in the Middle East. We'll be right back. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the lost cat magnet invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. (coughs) See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn. Or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes, is that one. The free-to-be me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org. And after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the Insta-Do. 
Just imagine, you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side, and you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's a summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, to... Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions, or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you are inspired by our conversation today and want to share it with others or maybe just listen to it again, please visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links and also a listing of our upcoming guests and stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Janessa and I would love to hear from you, love to hear your comments, your reflections on the show. So please come on over and leave us a comment or message. We are talking with Janessa Gans-Wilder from the Euphrates Institute, and you can find them at euphrates.org. So, the average American knows little about the region and even less about the solutions, the visionaries, and hope for peace that already exists. Janessa and the Euphrates Institute believe if more Americans did see this side of the story, they would be less paralyzed by fear and despair and become actively engaged in a global citizenship where we're supporting and enabling all of those promoting peace and progress in this region. And Janessa, one of the things that you do best is tell the story of what's working. So first, let's tell us more about Euphrates. What is it? What does it do? How can people get involved and then let's talk about some of those success stories and the peace that is occurring right there in the Middle East. Great. Yes. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization, and I would characterize us as an educational organization because I think that these ideas are still so new. One, that the Middle East does impact us and is connected to us. And Two, that there are good things going on. And that three, that each of us needs to be engaged in doing something about this, these issues and, and be part of the solution. So all of that is really part of the education that we're trying to, the awareness that we're trying to bring about, about all of that. So the activities that we do are largely educational. It's to me, the best way to bring that sense of awareness that this impacts us and to feel connected to something so far away is to go there. So my, my favorite thing to do and really the crux of, of what we do is take trips to the region. Now I would love to take people to Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and those are on hold for now, but we do um, lead a wonderful trip to Israel and the Palestinian territories and Jordan. And there I show people we meet, you know, with extremists on all sides and, understand more deeply and firsthand what is driving conflict. What's, what are the underlying issues? What is really at the root of this problem and why is it continuing? And then you meet with people who have solutions that even though they're also living in the midst of this conflict, somehow 
they have a totally different vision. They have a, 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 a way forward. They have solutions. They, they bring people together in the midst of conflict. And a, a wonderful theme that we talk about is based on Albert Einstein's idea that problems cannot be solved at the same level of consciousness that created them or same level of thinking. So what is the level of, of thinking or what is the level of consciousness that creates prob- the problem, the conflict, and then what's the level of thinking that creates the solution? And I've heard you say, uh, Julie, that this idea of you know breaking out of illus- the illusion of separation into oneness. So to me, that's the, the level of thinking that creates the problem is that we're separate. And then we move from that and other people see oneness even in the midst of that. So seeing these things firsthand, meeting these groups, we meet with over two dozen groups in two weeks and as well as all the sites is just so it makes it real and it makes it tangible. And then you just come back on fire with what you've learned and how important and critical it is. And then you want to do something. And then what we hope is that people then will come back and either start or join a local chapter of Euphrates. And we have 15. We just started the program a year ago. Um, and, and those are these local groups I was talking about where they uh, might do local events. They'll host speakers. They'll read a book together. They'll read the news. They'll go on trips. You know, whatever it is in their community that needs addressing that needs um, more information, inspiration, and transformation. What does that look like for that community? And then in in addition to that, we are always writing articles and blogs and um, videos and ads to just really spread and cultivate that awareness. Um, One other thing I want to mention is we, we also support and promote those visionaries you know, the people who are fostering solutions in the Middle East or to Middle East issues, they, they need their voices amplified and promoted because they, they have these solutions. They, they are already doing this incredible work, but no one knows about them. So hopefully we can talk a little bit more about those amazing individuals. But that's part of the education is getting their story out highlighting their work, everyone we've given our Visionary of the Year Award to, it's the first award they ever received. You know, we're just trying to get them on the map because where we shine a light, that that is then, that can grow, that has the potential to grow. So that's an important part of our work as well. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'm I'm hearing many different things that you do and I I love the inform, inspire and transform and you're doing that by telling the stories, writing writing blogs and and creating so much good content to share around our different um, social media and news outlets. So thank you for doing that. You're sponsoring trips. You're gathering people up, taking them to experience firsthand what we're talking about so that they're shifting their consciousness. I love that. And creating mm-hmm. local chapters back home so people can keep this as the top of their mind, find a way to express themselves, get involved, create peace. I do want to mention you do have one of those trips coming up in the fall and people need to register before May 1st. So how do they do that? They go to euphrates.org and, and check out the offering? Yeah, absolutely. There's just a travel study link on the page and it will tell you all about it's a 15-day trip to all over Israel and the West Bank and 
you know, we spend time with both sides. One day, one of those days in Hebron, we'll spend with um, the Jewish settlers in, in really one of the most contested hotspots in Hebron. And then the other part of the day will be with the, on the Palestinian side of the fence. So you really see in stark terms, you know, what's going on here. And then you meet with just truly the most inspiring people. I mean, I'm just blown away. Uh, they're like the Martin Luther Kings, you know, both sides, what they are doing in the midst of that and how clearly they see this vision of peace and, and oneness is unbelievable. And so um, you, you'll get to meet with all of them firsthand and then we'll spend a week in Jordan as well, which will include a day volunteering at a Syrian refugee camp for children, which I'm really um, eager to, to spend that day with them. So it, it'll be very rich and educational, not as much a, a tourist trip as much as a, as a study abroad, really. But it's, um, yeah, they, they, we want them to be informative, inspiring, and transformative. Mm, beautiful. It's working service. It's it's beautiful. So mm-hmm. thank you for offering that. Yeah. You know, you talk about these visionaries and amplifying their voice. I would love to turn our conversation toward what you see working over there. And who are these visionaries? What are they doing? And what are some of the stories that are coming out of the Middle East and these efforts? Yeah, well, our, our most recent visionary is just such a dear, I, I would love to share her story um, her name is Zuhal Sultan, and at 17 years old, um, she started the National Youth Orchestra of Iraq. She was an Iraqi pianist living in Baghdad. She'd lost both of her parents, and all of the music teachers had fled, you know, after the war. It was so unsafe for especially Western musicians to operate, and she and her friends were hiding the fact that they even played music, and people had to hide their instruments and play in secret, and... and <laughs> I don't know what possessed her that she thought she could do this, but at 17 in that environment started this national youth orchestra. And not only that, it brings together youth from all over the country, Sunni, Shia, Kurdish, Christian, Yazidi, you know, all breaking down all barriers. I, I joke that she, she did what no Iraqi politician has ever been able to do. Hmm. unite all the disparate parts of Iraq and, They've uh, played together for six years. They've toured all over Europe, all over the Middle East to sold out audiences. And she made it work through her vision to, uh, you know, bring these, bring these people together and, and not, um, you know, ISIS brings young people together to sow discord and terrorize and pillage. And here she's bringing people together to harmonize and cooperate and make beautiful music together. And the impact that this orchestra has had on these young people is just incredible. You know, she, they've, they've done lots of interviews with them and they've talked about how it's restored their humanity. You know, this is their lifeline. They live for this orchestra in that kind of environment, the importance of the arts and culture and humanity. And then also that they've gotten to know people from all over the country. And they've talked about how when they see on the news, how Iraq is splintering, it's falling apart. They were never united. Well, they think that we are united. We are one. I know every, you know, I know people from all different parts and, and that's what really restores their faith that 
that is the true Iraq and Iraq that is united and can come together despite all the barriers and that those are contrived. And um, it's just amazing how, you know, we've all heard of ISIS. We've all heard of those examples, but here she is doing so much good work and yet no one has heard of her and her story. And the other fascinating thing about her is that she's doing this with no support. You know, the U.S. government has not given her any support. She's she's struggling to keep the funding going. And it would only cost, an entire season would cost her less than a day of what we're spending on ISIS. You know, so to me, if she were to get more support, what would Iraq be like if there were not just one orchestra and that one struggling, but 10 youth orchestras, you know, in Syria? And so the more that we can support someone like her who would actually want to do this work, who has the vision, who has the, um, you know, the time and the inclination to do that, uh, we, we want to promote that. So because of our, uh, we organized a two-week tour for her this past fall, she was ready to quit altogether and um, they couldn't get their visas to go on the U.S. tour because the embassy had shut down because of ISIS taking over in parts of the country. And so she was ready to completely quit. And because of the reception shit that she got on this tour, people were so blown away by her story. They were so inspired and she was so shocked, you know, Oh really? People are interested in this and there is support for this, but now she's back on um, with the orchestra planning for their next season and wanting to devote to it again, full time. So to me, that's not only the importance of seeing, you know, finding these stories that, oh, they inspire us to see what one young woman, if she puts her mind to it and if given the opportunity, can accomplish. But the power that we have in supporting those moderates and supporting those visionaries. So it goes both ways. It's, it's you know, great for us because it humanizes this dark situation to even know that there's an orchestra playing classical music and bringing people together, but for her to have the support of the international community is vital for her continuing. So that's just one example of, you know, the effects that it can have both there and here when we know about it. Mm. You know, the beautiful thing about that story is that it's so multifaceted. Number one, she was just filling a need that kind of music abandoned us in the war and so she's bringing music back for yeah for them and then and here she is with all these future leaders who know how to come together and harmonize no matter what their background ethnic or religious backgrounds are what what an incredibly brilliant story of how simple things can unite Mm -hmm. us just finding that common ground of music wow Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because the way she tells the story, she said, well, I just started out because I wanted some free music lessons. (laughs) I thought (laughs) if I could create an orchestra, then we could get people to come, you know, lead the rehearsals and we could get a conductor. And she just wanted to continue her music. Her aim at the outset was not to bring together all of, you know, the Iraqi youth to promote peace. That was the effect 
that as she got into this and people who were stand partners, not even speaking the same language, and they had to work out those issues in order to play together as an orchestra, which was so fascinating. So the outcome was peace through having that, you know, connection through music. So it it is so amazing how one thing can lead to the other. Yeah. Well, you know, Janessa, the other thing that I appreciate about you and Euphrates so much is you've taken almost a different approach to peace. You know, we have so many different individuals and organizations around our world that are working for peace. And you say a few things that really make, it kind of piques my curiosity. It says, whoa, wait a minute, what is this? I would love to hear you define peace building. One of the things that, that you have is the hashtag, is it um, prepare for peace or being ready prepare for peace? For what, peace. Is, what, do you, mm-hmm. what do you say there? Yeah, prepare for peace. Um, I I think that's because I just am finding that it's already there. And so we just need to prepare our thought for it, just to prepare the way. You know, the the idea is there, the the solution's there, the, the peace already exists. And the more that we prepare our hearts for it, our minds for it, our our really attention for it, then it will just be realized. And, I, you know, it's funny because I have never even really liked the word peace. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a security person. I went in to government focused on foreign policy and international security. And, and I just always shied away. You know, I turned out my nose at those, oh, the peaceniks. And I, and I was a CIA person. And so I really had to come around to this idea of peace and embrace it because without, you know, when we are in conflict, then nothing else can get done. You know, we can't look at the environment if people are fighting over resources. We can't address all these other things if our basic lives are in danger. And so I, I've seen that peace is so critical to addressing that most basic need in order to really get to the other things that need addressed as well. And so it's, and to me, the, the fact that I've seen that it's already, it already exists, you know, there's so many examples, so many organizations, so many people like Zuhal who are practicing it. It's just, it's not this elusive thing. It's a very practical. It's very hands-on. It's happening right where we'd least expect it. So that has really, um, you know, helped me see the importance of that and really embrace that this is what we need to be focusing on first. You know, I'm, I'm also passionate about those other issues, but that's what's really kept me on. The security issue with, with the peace building is really crucial to, um, to addressing, you know, the, the start of addressing these bigger issues. Mm. Well, you take some of these bigger issues and we look at security and the politics and the religious conflict and the the fight over energy and and resources. And really, you're telling a story that's already evolved beyond those conflicts. Like, it's really there. And I think that's hard for our human psyche to even comprehend sometimes because we are so conditioned to listen into the media. And that's one of the pieces that... I think is so important and why I love to get behind what you're doing is you are telling a story 
a different story, a new story, but a story that already exists of peace in the Middle East. It, it's brilliant. Yeah, the other thing that, as you say that, you know, it brings up, I think that we we spend so much of our time, energy, resources on the on the on war, on defeating extremists, on counterterrorism, on fighting the enemy, and having been in that world, we are you know it looks like we're making progress, right? We're getting this bad guy, okay, we're taking him off the high value target list, but to me, it always felt like catching drops of water from a leaky faucet. You would get one person and ten more would fill their place. So if we really want to be effective, if we really do want to solve these problems, like we all say that we do, of course we want to defeat terrorism, you know, of course we want to get rid of these challenges, then we need to be smart about it and practical. And having been on that side, it's just not an effective use of our, of all of our resources. Of course we need that military element. And of course we need the use of force to take out you know, those networks, but even the military experts that I have talked to and worked with say, well, that's not a permanent solution. It's, there's no military solution to terrorism, to extremism. So why are we focusing all of our attention and resources on that way? So what I'm advocating is there's this whole other way that we haven't explored, this whole other way through peace building, through common ground with moderates through bridge building, through getting to know each other, through, you know, simple everyday things, that is what's going to win over the 99% of the population that are not extremists and build that common ground. And that's how you end up marginalizing and really reducing the problem and really addressing those deeper grievances, which is what everyone agrees is the only thing only way to solve these issues is to address those underlying and deeper grievances. So it's, it's, it's not just, this is a nice to do thing. This is, this is a practical way forward that we haven't explored and there's so much potential in this. And I just, I get so excited about it because it's, it engages, engages each one of us. We feel like we're making a difference. We're seeing the proof and I, I see so much tangible improvement and progress and transformation. And it's amazing. And yet in my other work, it felt so defeating. It was a never ending battle. So the more people that we sort of get on board with this, the more impact we have. Um, I just want to say one other thing. There's this amazing Stanford study that really gives credence to this by Everett Rogers, who talks about the power of the small groups of people uh, to create tipping points of change. And he said, once 5% of the population accepts a new way, uh, it's considered embedded. And once it hits 10%, the change is considered unstoppable. So, um, so once we get that core, wait, no, actually it's somewhere between 10 and 20%. So once you reach that tipping point of, you know, it can start small with these small groups of people adopting a new way forward. But as we put our might into building the bridges and seeing the common ground versus the other, then we create that tipping point of change. And then we will see peace and we will see, you know, this interconnectedness and this beautiful cooperation that can emerge. So that's really what gets me going, as you can tell. <laughs> Very excited about that. 
Oh, yes. And I just, it, it's just fun to hear your enthusiasm in your voice because it is a different voice and it is offering us a whole different solution. So you are becoming one of those solutions of what's working that you want to get out into the world even more with all the others that you're promoting. So good for you. So, you know, Janessa, we just have a few minutes left of this show. What does your organization need? What is the vision for the future and what do you need to really assist you to bring this solution forward in a, in a bigger way? Wow. Thank you for even asking that question. That's amazing. I, Julie, I feel like we are just getting started. I've been honing these ideas for so many years. I taught, you know, Middle East issues at Principia College. I was living on campus for seven years and just piloting a small program there, writing, reflecting, teaching. And just in the past year, we have emerged. We've sort of been given birth to, you know, we've, we're putting these ideas out for the first time. So um, I, I think we need thank you for doing your part in, in spreading the awareness about who we are and our ideas. And I think, we just need to get our ideas out there and connect with like-minded people who, who see that, okay, yes, we do want to hear a different voice in the Middle East. We do want to hear about solutions. We'd, we'd love to go and support these moderates and, and be engaged in these kinds of positive activities. So I just feel like as someone brand new emerging on the scene, putting our ideas out, I would just love to hear from people who think, you know, this is valuable and that this is a, a voice that needs to be heard and just to get the word out and spread awareness. Mm. Well, I am one of your fans and I I am really just delighted to get this word out. And I thank you so much for joining us and being on our show with us today. Thank you for the great questions and, and even opening this kind of conversation is so rare and such a treat for me to be able to delve deep into all of this and just what a gift for me and, and Euphrates. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, your voice is important and I, I support getting it out there. And, you know, just to summarize, some of your own words are so beautiful. So I'm going to encourage everybody, our listeners, go to the website, euphrates.org. It's beautiful. There's so much wisdom right there on that site. And, you know, a world at peace. Imagine that. It isn't a lofty vision. It's already happening and it's in places that we would least expect like the Middle East and like that Euphrates River flowing through the war zones of western Iraq. Peace is already here. So look around your world, your home, your workplace, your community. Allow yourself to relax into the potential and be inspired to find peace yourself for peace is already here so janessa and i would love to hear from you again stop by the facebook page all things connected leave us your messages did anything move you in our conversation and i'd love for you to go over to our website the drjulieshow.com and check out that archive share it with your friends and sign up for our email list where we continue the conversation and hopefully stay connected. So together we create connections for the greater good of the whole. And until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <music>